chapter 3. And I really want to focus on the last sentence. I'll read the whole verse, but it's the last two sentences that are important. And the Lord is talking about how one day with him is as, a, as if it's a thousand years. And then in verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, and here's our sentence, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the plan of God for every human on this earth, that they come to know who Christ is. It's amazing if you take time to converse with people and ask them about their Christian life, uh, why they became Christian. One of the things you'll notice is very often people have a crisis in their life. Not always, but some people have some form of a crisis. And I was meditating on this last night, just thinking about some of the reasons and the conditions and the circumstances that lead some men and women to become Christian. And in the Bible, you have a lot of different different kinds. First one I'll mention is, is very simply this. There's, there's jailhouse religion. Remember the story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas are in jail? And the Bible says while, while they're in there, they begin to sing at midnight. Now their backs had been beaten. Their bodies had been broken. They had been embarrassed and shamed in front of a lot of folks. And now they're sitting in the prison in stocks, more than likely some kind of clamps that were probably on their ankles and possibly around their wrists. However, uh, despite the circumstances, they still worshiped God. They prayed and praised. So in that jail, they loved the Lord. They expressed their love for God, despite the difficulties of what they were passing through. And the scripture says that as they sang the songs of Zion and they prayed, the other prisoners listened. That's the important thing. You can be in prison. You can be passing through a difficult situation. But your praise to God is observable by other people. Other people listen to how you sing. Other people listen to how you talk about God. People pay attention to how you walk through these different valleys in your life, even if you don't think they're paying attention. So Paul and Silas, as they sang, the scripture says there was an earthquake and that earthquake, it, it opened up the prison doors. And of course, the, the jailer who was keeping everybody, he supposed that everybody was going to run away and that he'd probably have to end up in trouble with the Roman authorities. So just when he was about to take his own life, Paul said, you don't have to do that. All of us, the prisoners, we're here. And then that man came in and he threw himself at Paul's feet, and he asked one question, what must I do to be saved? So there's a, a guy who was a jailer and was dealing with people incarcerated, and yet he came to know the Lord. I think if people come to know Jesus in jail, that's a wonderful thing. Wherever they come to know God, I'm happy. I know there are people that say, look, all it is is jailhouse religion. Well, jailhouse religion better than no religion at all. And if, and if God can start working with them in that cell, that's a beautiful thing. The, the few years that the Hastings prison was open on Monday nights for maybe five or six years, I think, I used to go up there and preach right when I first came to Nebraska. And, and I can tell you I had wonderful meetings 
in that place. That first night I went in there, I still recall they put me in this little tiny room up on the second floor, and they announced it over the speaker. They said, a, a Bible study with Pastor Darrell begins at, I'll say, 7 o'clock. I can't remember what time. 7 o'clock. And, and so I was standing in a room, and uh, people were walking by, and, and they'd walk by the classroom and do like this, and then they'd keep on going. Nobody would come in. <clears throat> so when I realized I'd probably end up in there preaching to the tables and chairs, I, I said, I'll go out there to them. So I walked out into the hallway. I had my Bible, and I opened it up, and I said, since nobody's going to come in here and listen, come in here and listen to me, I'm going to stand in the hallway and preach to all of you. And, and, and a few of them start filing in into the room. Well, within about six weeks, we had the largest Bible study in that prison. They put us in the cafeteria. And it was amazing to see these men who had, had committed crimes that would be difficult for me to even, even really explain as they came to know Christ. Some were gang members, some were rapists. There just a lot, of, a lot of bad stuff was going on in there. But I saw over and over again how one short 35 or 40 minute teaching cut through all of that sin, just like a hot knife going through butter. And they came to know Christ. So jailhouse religion. Sometimes people come to know the Lord because of that. Uh, another occasion, Luke 23, verse 39, you remember that Jesus was between the two criminals on the cross. Luke 23, uh, verse 39, that the, it, it tells us about <clears throat> It calls them malefactors. That is to say, these were people who had did some some bad things. And and let me read a couple of verses. It says they they railed on him and they said, if you're Christ, save yourself and us. The other answered and rebuked him and said, don't you fear God, seeing you're in the same condemnation. And we indeed are in this justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So here we have deathbed salvation. Here's somebody dying. And this is one of those situations where somebody passes away, and other people may not have actually thought they were deserving of going to heaven. Uh, you, you mark my words, there are going to be people that made it to heaven that you never thought should have made it to heaven. Because in their dying breaths, somehow or another, they, they, they got right with God. Now, this conversation going on between the thieves. So here you've got this one man over here. He's angry at Jesus. He's speaking evil of, of the Lord. And <clears throat> then you've got Jesus right here in the middle. And then you've got this other man over here. And so you've got this one man, he, he, he's going to die in his sins because he, he doesn't believe. But then you've got this other man over here, he's going to die, but he's going to make it into heaven. And then you've got Jesus who's in the middle, and he's dying because of sin. He hadn't done anything wrong, but he's bearing the sins of, of the people. So this man who we could say had done no good works, who had not been baptized, was told by Jesus, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So don't ever think just because somebody hadn't had water put on them, they can't get into the kingdom of heaven. You get into the kingdom of heaven because of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if, if we thought that just water was the prerequisite to qualify you for heaven, we'd, all, we'd give every one of you a squirt gun and, and we'd let you just run around town and just hit as many people as you could. 
and say, you're now baptized in the name of the Lord, you see. So the power is in the faith, in the relationship with uh, the king. How, how, how about this one then? Then, then sometimes illness, <clears throat> illness uh, becomes a crisis, and it deals with people in, in, in bringing them closer to God. Let, let's remember the story of the woman had the issue of blood and 12 years or more. It's a lot of trouble she'd she been dealing with, but, but she had heard stories about Jesus, and she somehow came to believe that these stories were true and that he could help her because the scripture says she said within herself, if I could touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. So there was something inside of her that believed before she took the first step. So the crisis, of course, was the illness. But in the midst of the illness, that's when she took her faith and she put it in the Lord. And that's what we all can learn from that story, regardless of what affliction or illness or sickness we're facing. Let's believe the king before we even get the healing. Let's believe that he truly is the great physician, that he is the deliverer. And that's what this this lady did. So as a as a person on a sick bed, generally shut in, she found she found her faith in the king. Now we, we all have visited people that are sick and shut in. It's not always a easy thing to do. Some people don't like to visit nursing homes. Some people don't like to go to senior centers where older people live because they don't like to be around folks that are dealing with all kinds of afflictions. But you ought to praise the Lord every day when you read the Gospels and see that none of those things ever repulsed Jesus to the point he didn't want to be around people who were facing difficulties in their life. You don't have anything going on in your body today that would keep God from drawing close to you. In fact, I, I dare say that, that what's going on in your life should be the reason to cause you to draw nigh unto God. And the scripture says in James, he'll draw nigh unto you. So, so allow the, the problem or the crisis to be a platform to propel you into a closer relationship with God rather than allowing it to become a trap where you become ensnared and embittered. I can't understand why he's letting me go through this. Jesus could have said the same thing when he went to Calvary. That's not what he said. He simply made it very plain. Father, it's not my will. It's about your will. And then, of course, he was raised from the dead. So this lady came to faith before she was healed. Well, there are also people who come to faith after they're healed. You ever heard the story of Naaman, Old Testament? He was a general in the Syrian army. And scripture says he was a great man, but he was a leper. I don't know how many of you have ever seen a person with leprosy before. There are a lot of leper colonies overseas. If you ever see pictures of it, they'll be unforgettable to you. I can promise you that. Because leprosy being that, that kind of a skin disease, I mean, people that be without a nose sometimes, without fingers, Hands will be withdrawn, sometimes be without an ear, just holes on the side of their head and that kind of a thing. Skin discoloration and all of that. <clears throat> and that's what this man was, even though he was an honorable man. And the scripture says they had brought back a captive maid from Israel. She was working for uh, Mr. Naaman's wife. And, 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 and this little Israeli maid had made the statement. She said, you know. I know somebody who knows somebody who knows what to do for your husband. Yeah. 
And and she said, there's a there's a man of God in Israel who's a prophet. And if Naaman could get to him, everything would be all right. And so Naaman put together, it had the king put together this big, huge gift to send to the king of Israel. And they sent a letter and said, King, we know that 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 uh, healings take place over there. So we send this gift to you. We want you to heal my general. And the king of Israel looked at that and he said, well, what do you think? I'm God. I can't heal anybody. And so he rent his clothes and started praying and humbled himself. Elisha, the prophet, heard about it and said, send them to me. So all of these people came, Naaman, this long train of animals bearing all of these gifts, and his soldiers. And they came and stood outside of Elisha's house and they, they said, uh, go in and get Elisha and bring him out here. And Elisha would not even leave the house. He sent his servant out to tell the general, tell him to go dip in the water. And the general got angry. He said, how dare that man I'm a general. He doesn't even honor me with with his presence. He wants me to go and dip in that water. The Jordan River is muddy and dirty. So we've got water that's a whole lot better in Syria. I'm not going anywhere. And so, of course, Elisha never did come out. He wasn't intimidated by anybody. And this this went on, I'm sure, for several hours. And then finally, one of the general servants said, look, if the man would have asked you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? He said, all he asked you to do was go into the the waters, dip yourself seven times, then see what happens. What do you have to lose? You've made this long trip. So the general, he swallowed his pride, went down into the river, went down, came up, still a leper. Down again, came up, still a leper. Finally, he went down, came up, skin brand new, totally healed by the power of God. And then he makes this statement. Now I know that the God of Israel is the only true God. So sometimes people come to faith after God gives them the miracle. God does it for sinners sometimes, just like he did it for the Syrian general. There is no rule or regulation that says if God's going to do something for somebody, they strictly have to be a believer. Uh, the, The belief used to be that healing was the dinner bell to call people to salvation. And Jesus would heal people and then people would come and believe in what he was doing. So again, people believe before they're healed. In the case of Naaman, this man believed after. How did, how did it happen with you? If you had a crisis in your life, did, 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 it, did the crisis lead you to start seeking God in the middle of it? After the crisis? But if you found God, that's the beautiful thing. There is a man in the scripture by the name, oh, it doesn't give his name, but this man, this Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, this man was reading the Bible in his chariot. And God sent Philip, the evangelist, to come down and talk to him, and to witness to him, and to teach him the Bible. So he was seeking God. And there are a lot of people who are trying to figure out what's true and what's false, what's real and what's not. And you, you, you find some people, they'll say things like this, where well, I'm on a quest to find God. But then you run into that scripture in Romans that says there is none that seeks after God, not one. And then somebody else will say, well, that man or that woman, he's a seeker. He's trying out all the different religions. 
Well, I can tell you this. God knows who genuinely is really trying to find out who he is and he can see what's going on in somebody's heart. And when God finds a man or woman who is really trying to come after him, he'll, he'll send somebody across their path. And that's what he did with this Ethiopian eunuch. He's on a chariot going from Israel, headed back down to Ethiopia. And God takes a man from a town called Samaria and tells him to leave probably one of the greatest revivals Samaria has ever seen. People being baptized, demons being cast out, people being healed, people being saved. And the Lord says, I want you to leave this village and go south. And he did it. And when he got into position, the Lord spoke to him again and said, join yourself to that chariot. Go over there to where that man is. And that's exactly what he did. So God cared enough about an Ethiopian man to send somebody from another location to help guide them into the greater truth of scripture. See, he had a Bible, but sometimes having a Bible isn't enough. You probably know a lot of people that have Bibles in their home, but they still need a safe guide to teach them, to instruct them, to ground them in the truths of the word of God. And many people are just like the Ethiopian eunuch. They read the scriptures on their own, but as they read it, it doesn't always make sense to them. So God sends somebody along who can be a friend to you, And help you understand some of these things. This man was seeking God like Cornelius was in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was a man doing good works, but he was still an unbeliever. But God spoke to a man named Peter in a vision to prepare his heart. Peter looked up, he saw a big sheet coming down. And on that sheet, there were all kinds of foods that a good Jewish boy would never eat. They were unclean, according to the Old Testament law. And the Lord said to him three times, Peter, get up, kill this food, dress out the meat and eat it. And Peter said, I can't because it's unclean. That happened to him several times. And and the whole point of the dream, the Lord was preparing Peter to help Peter see that even as a Jewish person, this gospel is not just for Jewish people. This gospel is for non-Jewish people that Jewish people tend to believe are unclean and could defile them. And God was trying to help Peter see you have to go and preach to other people that are different than you. And no sooner had he had that vision, there was somebody at the door downstairs said, you've got to come talk to this Roman soldier. Because Cornelius. He needs to know who God is. And, and Peter made the trip. So who knows? But your path. Very well could have linked up with somebody else's path a long time ago because God saw this person that they really did want to get to know him, but God had to bring you into that person's life so that they could come to know what salvation was and a deep, true, personal walk with God. Serving God is not a religion. It's not a, it's not just a form. It's about a heart, a flame, with an affection for God, because the more you love him, the more you want to know him. The more you get to know him, the more you want to love him. That's that's what this is about. Yeah, it's all about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We appreciate the fact that your word is true. I have no idea the, the various crises that have occurred in the lives of those that are in front of me this evening. But the one thing I do know is we've all found that the answer 
lies with your son Jesus. So God, we are so impressed with you that we worship you, we love you, and we honor you. In Jesus' matchless name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.